Hello, Africa. This is another episode on the Clyde Podcast as we take you through the African educational history, tracing it back from where it all started until present to raise awareness for the importance of educational development in Africa. I, Ojenka Yamurua, will be your host on today's episode. Here with me is Mr. Namse Udosin. Yep, How are you doing? Correct. Okay. I'm very fine. I'm good. Uh, so, can you tell Africans about you? Hmm. Okay. Uh, my name is Namso Dawson. As he said, I am a I am an, an educator and an education researcher. I'm currently doing my PhD in Amman Bello University area. And my area of research is um, access to non-form- non-formal education in Northwest Nigeria. I'm also into children's literacy, so I like to write for children. I have one book, uh, two books published. One is a free ebook for beginning learners, beginning readers rather. And the other book is a fundamental etiquette for young Nigerians. So I, I like writing, reading, traveling and meeting new people yeah so that's that's me amazing um can you tell us a little bit about um these books that you've written okay um the first one my first book fundamental etiquette for young nigerians is about it's uh it's more like a civic education book for young people, good manners, civil behavior, respect, and um, how to behave within a community. Then, that one, Silly Sally, is essentially a beginner's um, reader. It talks about how Sally goes to play with sand and gets sand, sand into her eyes, ears, and nose, and how she's sneezing and crying. So the purpose of that one is just to get children get familiar with words, with rhymes. Uh, I use a lot of alliteration in that book. And I tell you, I want textbook that was co-authored with my course mates. And that one is on um, school plant management. It's actually my master's thesis that I was that was converted into a textbook. It's on school facility management, theory and practice. It's, it's, it's a book for administrators and um, educational planners who want to build new schools. So what, what are the facilities required? What are the maintenance processes? And um, stuff like that. Thank you. Well, that's, that's amazing. That's a whole lot of, a whole lot of yeah. initiative there in that book. That means I myself need to like get it and send it out to my team members. Yes, because yes. Um, we are currently like planning on doing um, a project, an educational initiative project, um, okay. which we want, to, we want to like create a curriculum, a new, unique, and totally different from the regular school kind of curriculum. So, okay, yeah, so, yeah it is still in the planning process and we, we have started working on it. So, yeah, when it is ready, the whole world will know about it. <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah, on today's episode, we'll be talking about why informal education is important to educational development in Africa. 
So I'll I'll be reading a little bit of context to give a background regarding what this conversation is going to be centered around. So despite the tremendous effort made for decades to achieve education for all, the challenge remains significant. According to UNESCO's Institution for Statistics Data, published in February 2018, roughly 260 million children, adolescents, and young people worldwide, one in five, are not enrolled in school, a figure that has remained virtually unchanged over the past five years of all regions. Sub-Iran Africa has the highest education exclusion rate, more than one-fifth of children roughly 6 to 11 years of age are not enrolled in school, followed by one-third of children approximately 12 to 14 years of age. According to UIS data, close to 60% of young people roughly 15 to 17 years of age are not enrolled in school. If urgent measures are not taken, the situation will be worsened as the region is facing growing demand for education owing to the steady increase in its school age population. For African education, one of the major core of education in Africa in terms of improving a child's literacy is informal education, which is virtually done outside the four walls of education and um, academic institutions, which the family plays the major role in educating their children in morals and cultural conducts. According to African history in the 14th century, make us understand that the main aspect of education is done collaboratively by the community to raise the next generation in cultural and moral values through stories, histories, and tales. Also, the major learning institution at the time is the family and the community they belong to. Before colonization came in, that brought a new wave of education according to the colonial master conduct and conduct and practices which in turn have made us consider our own means of education as less effective so um these are my questions sir yes um, okay why is informal education less effective in our current sector yeah informal education is less effective because society has evolved in those days of our forefathers you know the your father is a farmer your mother is a, is a hairdresser you no know, we have all those all those stuff so if I a farmer he's putting you through the the the, the steps of farming process you follow him to farm to the farm if he's a bricklayer, I follow him. If he's a, if he's a iron smith, you follow him to the wherever he goes, and you learn the thing. That's that's informal education. But now we have we have transformed from that family-based um, industrial industrial setting to more of a blue-collar society. So with the coming of education of um, with the coming of formal education as brought in by the colonial people, they changed that and made us more blue-collar workers. So now every parent 
or most parents are working in one office or the other so they're not actually doing handwork or skilled work and even those who are still doing that in area because of the glamour that the the Europeans brought, the colonial people brought, even the few people still doing those uh, artisan works want their children to go to school and learn um, regular education. So this has led to a, a gradual killing of the informal learning system because now everybody wants to go to formal education. Everybody wants to go to school and become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer and stuff like that. But uh, So it's going to be very difficult to for uh, informal education to to really be very powerful as it was back in those days. Okay, so what are your proposed solutions to this problem? Uh, uh, it's a tough one. So our, our proposed solution is like number one, we need to understand the purpose of education. So government needs to decentralize educational planning so that those in the city are not having the same kind of education with those in the village. We need to really re-emphasize the need for skill acquisition because, you know, even nowadays you go to the village, the young people there are no longer interested in farming, in farming, uh, in some areas, fishing, all those streets, and it is affecting our industrialization, our industrialization process. So um, we have to find a way to interwine this thing and that's why we have non-formal education as a, a middle point, a bridge builder between formal and informal education. So non-formal education is a form of education that takes part outside of the established formal system but it operates separately and gives more flexibility to to learners. So Non-formal, non-formal education is a bridge builder between formal and informal education. And if we emphasize more on that and on skill acquisition, then informal learning would uh, would become more um, more popular. And also, we need to tie education to development. So what are the needs of society? Right now, talking of how to industrialize, how to create jobs, and unfortunately, the average, the mind of of an average person is that jobs are jobs when you go to the office. We need to promote an idea of jobs outside of the office, promote the development of cottage industries. Very important. Like this morning, before this interview, I just bought a tomato paste, tomato jars, and the price was very cheap compared to the other ones. And I was like, wow. So with small small cottage industries. In the, in the area where I live in Kaduna, we have lots of people doing small, small farms and the rest. If you have small cottage industries where all these skills can be put in place, people are drying fish and packaging it in cartons, people doing okra and drying it, you know, that's a real industry. So if we can we can put it, our children through those and tell them, okay, these skills are important and will help them, then we can bring back the glory of informal education. Because informal education is very important, especially in areas of agriculture, small technology, and um, arts and crafts. Very important. Okay. Wow. That's a whole lot of um, detailed solution, yes, which I believe our audience that are hearing this will also put this into practice. And 
work towards it because the major uh, mindset of an average African of a child is I want to grow, grow up, be a medical doctor, I want to be an engineer. Whereas there are so many loopholes that a country needs that the country needs to grow in terms of development and for industrialization for the nearest future because um africa is more like ranked as the highest ex um importing nation like we are we import a lot of products from other countries whereas we do less of our own crafts and our own stuff. But right now, I think the narrative is already changing in a way, but we still need to keep on emphasizing the need for youths and young people, even children, to have that consciousness of having a skill, which is very, very important. Yes, so my second question here is, um, why is informal education important in terms of improving a child's literacy? Looking at it from an angle of um, a child from zero to like five to 15 years that are still growing up, how can informal, like in house education, improve their literacy? Oh, very good, very important question. It's very, it's, it improves literacy in the sense that the, the foundation of literacy is words. And the first words, a child hears at the words from the house, from the parents, and from those around the environment. And uh, there was this research by this American Literacy Institute, or something like that, remember the exact name, the district body, and even the UK body for literacy development, reading, reading assessment, and something. So I got it in my head right now. But it's a body, and they, they did a little research that showed that children with, from very educated, that live, okay, not from, that live in educated, in educated homes pick up better vocabulary and learn to read faster than those that live in homes where the language is is um, low. You know, so if you live in a house where, for example, your dad's a professor, the mom, everybody in the house is educated to an extent, the kind of words, because at that age from zero to five, there's a lot of informal learning. You're, they are picking up words that uh, they don't even know. It's just unconscious learning, let me put it that way. You know, so that's unconscious, even without you making a deliberate effort, just between conversation between daddy and mommy, conversation between two uncles, and the child is just unconsciously maybe playing something, but hearing what they're saying. The child is speaking these things up and is building his literacy ability. So the child that stays in that kind of home, maybe by the age of three, he'll, the words, his word counts will be greater than the child in a village where they're not, where people are not speaking. Um, high value words. So that is on the aspect of um, that's as a general And then when it comes to deliberate informal learning, so they said when um, parents reach their children, even the children that cannot talk, they are still toddlers, they are still babies, zero to one year old, you just take a book and read. Even in the womb, uh-huh. even in the womb, when the mother is always reading aloud throughout the pregnancy period. These things subconsciously gets into the child to build vocabulary. And vocabulary building is essential to literacy development. So children begin to see the relationship between words, begin to see, understand sentence structure, and they begin they, they begin to learn to read faster and better and with comprehension. So informal learning is very important because 
the child will usually spend three years at home with the parents and the caregivers before starting school. And those three years are very important in literacy development. When the child is already exposed, has springs knowledge, has word knowledge, has vocabulary, you begin to understand what relationships. So informal um, education is very, very, very important in literacy development. Okay, so Thank you. Um, one one question I also want to like want you to like consider, like looking for looking at children that live in the rural area, that their parents all they think of is whenever they wake up is how their child may be fed and how um, they can provide for their family. That's only what comes to their to their mind. They and they themselves are not well educated. So what can we? What do you think we can that can be done to address that and to to address that situation? Yes. Yeah, one thing that can be done is community learning centers, and this is where the community. I know there's no village in Nigeria that doesn't have one retired teacher, one retired doctor, retired soldier that lives somewhere and educated living. I think these people need to come together in communities and try and do remedial education for for those people and because in my little knowledge and my little experiences most people just don't care and education is a communal thing whether we like it or not education is communal and considering what the structure that the government has put in place they will never reach many of those places. And that's that's the fact that's putting it softly. So communities need to take charge. We need to come together and see how we can help uh, rem- do remedial uh, education for these children, especially from parents who are not very literate. Um, I've seen very illiterate parents who are so passionate. They send their children to school. They don't have the money, but they send their children to the public schools. Not very good. But they call us. I have one about them. that will call me and say, please, come and help the child do this ABC, help him with this homework and stuff. So we need to have that integrated approach to helping children in um, rural communities and poor communities to get quality education. Okay, yes. I think that answers the question. Okay, yes. So my next question is how can informal education be effective in educational development in Africa? Yeah, it can be if um, we, need, we need more advocacy. Honestly, we need more advocacy so that people will see the importance of these things. And also, um, they just mindset about the formal education using how it was practiced. Um, let's say 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But now we have to evolve and okay, even as formal education is evolving, informal education has to evolve too. You know, so to, to ensure development, from the family level, we, we can start teaching children informal skills that will lead to, the, to that, that can lead to more marketable skills in future. So for example, in the village, um, Yes, teach your child the basics of farming, but also it's good to let them understand that, okay, uh, informally, yes, that, that, that's your sustainable level of farming. But how can we upgrade that? Say, okay, 
there are also mechanized ways of doing this thing. There's farming. My father is a farmer. I'm, I'm a farmer. I don't have money, but let the children know that beyond this whole cutlass farming, they can be mechanized farming. Then, uh, when, when the digital age, digital world now, let these children pick up digital skills from an early age. You know, these are parents that are shying away from allowing their children to look at the computer, look at the phone. They feel that uh, spoiling them and stuff like that. But this, this, this is the future of the world. They are, they are digital. The children of nowadays are digital natives. They are born in the digital generation, and that is the, that is what they know. So we should not, not take them back to our 1960 method of growing up and learning. So even informally, let the children pick up these skills, communication skills, creative skills. Let them continue doing it. Even if they're in, enrolled in former schools, these other skills can still help them um, develop other stuff. Like um, on Saturday, I was, at, I was at an event, and there's this PhD guy from, from New York, but he started from Nigeria. He does arts from scrap. He does metal sculpture from scrap. And he said, how do you get into it? As a young child, he used to go to dump sites, pick up metals, and I was able to fabricate stuff. And then when he got to university, he did something. Somebody says, ah, oh, wow, this is nice. And the person paid him money. We're like, ah, this is my mother has been calling. And that's when his mother started taking him seriously. This thing that they, they were calling nonsense is, is, is carrying dirty everywhere. It's carrying dirty things from those being. So make him pay some good money for it. He used that and got a lot of stuff. And he got a scholarship to study in New York. So no skill is to be wasted. And if Africa wants to develop, we have to look at every possible skill and every possible area of development. Tourism, arts and crafts, which are totally neglected. Sports, which are totally neglected. And other these things that will come, this cooking and culinary that are all under arts, they are very important for Africa to truly develop and become a, uh, a productive continent, especially Nigeria. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what are you going to like say regarding? Um, I'm I'm still like going to like so that it's going to be balanced regarding okay. children in the rural community that don't some of them don't even have access to even a phone and <laughs> even yeah, <laughs> yeah. So some of them never have access to food they are only using yeah. one small um, Nokia phone like that that yeah. and that's what their parents use mostly. Because some of them see internet as their parents do not even have knowledge of internet. They see it as something that is bad in a way. Some, why some? Yeah. Is because they do not. They are not exposed to it, so they don't know about all these things. So, which which is what results to a lot of lack of exposure among, especially people in the rural area, because they are not exposed, and they can easily be deceived by, by by circumstances by by things basically so how can we address that yeah uh, that's a tough one <laughs> I, I don't know where to start <laughs> yeah right well but even with, with my little experience on rural areas rural areas so we, we underrate village people and they will always shock you i've had this experience several times where I, and in one very typical rural community in Kano. And I was surprised this guy's new, what was, what was the rainy song that time, self? I can't remember. There was also, uh, there was jamming, uh, I think it was my ringtone. 
Jumon Rangan, all, the, all of them sang the song. They can't speak English, show the village and everything, but they knew that song. It's one of his whiskey or David, so I can't remember. But they knew it. And they knew Cristiano Ronaldo, they knew, they knew Messi. But all the women, they know each other like, ah, in this village. So even in those villages, they usually have, they have a, a source, a central spot, like maybe a place where they go to, everybody goes to watch match, goes to charge their phone, or, you know, they, have, they, have, they always have one local place that's, or one local man that coordinates everything. But I think it's left for, I don't like saying government, because uh, this government thing, uh, you want to, you want to do this thing, it, it, it go hard. So we as individuals, as communities, um, how can we come together and um, and make these things available or influence? Okay, let's okay. Let me use the word. How can we influence other development? Like for example, if this internet stuff, most of the communication, the telecoms, don't even consider citing their base stations and their masts and other stuff in those villages because they feel that. It's a waste of money. They are trying to recoup investment. So they want to invest in places where they can easily cash out fast. So, okay, so that is where government can come in and if, if it wants to do integrated rural development to influence all those things, to set up all those things in rural communities. So like when there's internet in the village, I, I bet you automatically you see people will start getting all those phones and the rest. Once there's um, the, there's internet, there's this, the, once you do, do, don't mind going to town. I know even here, in Katuna, they put a couple of villages to town to come and buy devices. Just because once more companies come up and stop something, they come and look at ah, this thing is very useful. So we need to work around those. Some of those things are out of our reach because they are technical and they are large scale. And but even it means sometimes taking these things to them once in a while, it it will help. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's that answers the question. Yes. So um my next question is okay, I think I've asked okay, how can informal education preserve our African history? Ah uh, that is the most important aspect of of African history. I don't know if you're familiar with the grills. I've heard of the griots. Uh, no, not really. Oh, okay, so very important. The griots are, are oral storytellers and singers. You find them in the Senegambia axis, Senegal, Gambia, Guinea axis, and they are working encyclopedias of history. So, because they have that culture has been preserved over time, over time, they tell of how they show that there are some food that helped in the narratives around um, the River Ninja and activities that are going around there. So informal, informal education is very important in preserving African culture, very, very important. Like me, I know most of my family history because my dad, when we were young, would always tell us how this person did this, how this came this, you know, civil war stories that people don't, out there don't even know. You know so this is like parents need to tell their children these stories, take them to the And apart from preserving the culture, this is another form of, this is another industry in the zone that we don't know. For tourism and even for education. Because once KBC is true, they put out to know if, uh, they put out to know, I read a book about, you know, like, um, there's my friend doing something in Nock. Nock is somewhere in Cardinal State. 
is one of the oldest civilizations in West Africa that has been forgotten for long until I think somebody wrote about it. Now, lots of people come from Europe, archaeologists and rest come are coming from Europe into Nork to come and actually assess those stories and say, okay, that come to test and say, okay, due to this Nork civilization existed before the time of Jesus Christ, there have been lots of people coming there and that's helping the community. So if we had a very good informal on this thing, like I remember my friend said, when you go to when you go to London, you go to one small area and you, know, you don't even need a talk guy, you just ask anybody in the street, okay, tell me about this place. Ah, this place, in 1920, you see a small boy of eight years old will tell you in 1920 this happened here, this happened here. Everybody is well informed about the history of where they stay. I think we need to do that more. Let us understand where we stay. Let us, let us pass all this information so that at the end of the day, it doesn't get distorted by the people from outside. So, informal education is very, very important and key to that. Yes, yes, yes. Because even me, while growing up, my mom, Charlie, we sit, we sit me down, tries, she will be telling me a lot about history and all, which it is not that visible in this current century of this current set of parenting because everybody is busy with their lives. They will come in late and everything. Everybody is always... Um, doing something that will take their time so they don't really have that quality time or spare time to like sit down and have a conversation with their parents which is something um parents and other elders in this community need to also factor into that our cultural history our african history who we have why we have what we have why we are where we are now we need every generation needs to understand it's history. Every generation needs to know what is what has happened in the past, so that we not repeat the same old mistakes of our forefathers. Yes. So, yeah. My next question is: uh, What do you think parents and families should do to improve? Okay, we've answered that question already. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts regarding African education using Nigeria as an example? Okay, African education, Nigeria's example, yeah. Our education is what you call photocopy without original. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, this one thing I've, I've always spoken about, we need serious uh, curriculum reforms. We need to get and uh, make our education whole, holistic and more indig- in, indigenous. We need to be more decisive and more purposeful about education. So, for example, um, this arts and crafts, we we have not really deepened it. Then in normal non-formal education, you know, I, I don't I don't see why somebody in in Lagos should be studying the same thing with somebody in Calabar and somebody in Kano. We need to decentralize this thing. Let, let us let, let us serve our needs. We're, we're talking of economic diversification. The only way that can be done is from education. So let's from a, from, a, from the primary level, we build these skills to we emphasize more on more on um, let's look at more of handwork. Let me use that way. We 
skills, practical skills. Let's start, let our education be more on practical skills because all this too much of writing, 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 writing notes is not helping us. We need to start getting children to understand, okay, it's agriculture, you want to be a farmer, this is what you need to do. But from primary school, push that in about technology, then we incorporate everything together. So, agriculture, technology, arts, digital world, there's a way they can all be blended together. And I think that's one thing we're missing in our education. We really need more, more a curricula that is more community-based. And it's more central to a curriculum that, I don't know how to put it now, a curriculum that is more practical-oriented, that is more in tune to what the development needs of the country are. So, okay, I think, okay, once we go into this, how does our education system provide that? How does, how does our education system link to industry? You know, like um, in Europe, the school system is very, very certified. So now, because it's only for seven, someone for of seven has been squad to have a footballing talent or a, a basketball a sports talent. You go into an academy from that age. I will go to the academy. He's not if, if everybody is doing ten subjects, he might do five because he's a sports person. You know, they have they have music schools, and this music school is tied to the industry. So you don't go, you know there's a way that everything is all tied up tied up to the industry. That when you come out of music and art school, you're productive. You see the uh, you know likes of Tupac, Janet Jackson, Beyonce. When you look at education, you see the way they went through. So we need to see how we can tie all these things together to make to make our education more productive. Now, uh, I said I for the copy. Was it what the colonial people gave us? And why did the, the the Europeans or the colonial people bring education to us? It's because they were trying to get people to work in their in the offices. You know, when they were about leaving, it's okay who will come and be clerk. So they, their education system was more administrative. So that's how that's how our our system was more was more our education system evolved from a culture of training for administrative work because the bosses, the white guys, should be at the top. So the black people are the ones that are doing the works of clerk, typist, secretary. Uh, so I just system was trained towards that. So I teach you English grammar so you can write letter for your guy. No, teach you mathematics. Like but they didn't really help us to become productive. And we are sitting that, and we have computer system. So even with our, we're not, we're not doing education for problem solving. You know, everybody's talking about STEM, but even STEM is still kind of, it's, it's too theoretical. We're not making it practical. We need to really make our history more practical than theoretical. You know, it's not enough to just cram timetable. How can you use that timetable to solve power problems in Nigeria? How can we solve the problem of super eagles? How can we solve the problem of the tigers? Solve the problem of the Nigerian League? Talk of Nollywood. See, Nollywood, there's no innovation. Even our music industry, no innovation, no innovation of sounds and everything. So, education system needs to take all this into consideration and, and make it more robust and holistic and practical or, or oriented. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, you were saying that the curriculum should be more indigenous. Like, yes. yeah. Um, can you like? Talk more about that. Yeah, more indigenous in the sense that we cater to our 
present realities. You know, so for example, like you look at look at our the, okay, let's start from primary school now. Doing social studies, you see the things that they are telling you about crossing road. Let's look at okay, what are what what, what the purpose social studies? Just look at what, what are the local things we have around. Like it's not culture now. It's not in any curriculum. You you know read about only only people that study history in university know about not culture. We don't know about if uh, culture. We don't know about um, Kano culture. We don't know about Sokoto culture. You know, so this in a lot of I don't even Nigerians don't even know Nigeria. You know, we have a lot of landmarks in Nigeria. Um, last uh, the program I was doing and I I, I, did, I did a quiz. So in, in, the of, in the process of doing a quiz, and I asked what the tallest mountain in Nigeria. I know. Most people, most people don't even know that, that there's a tallest mountain in Nigeria. Uh, the tallest mountain in Nigeria is Chapal Wadi, found in Taraba State. You know, it's a good return and now it's Imo River. I don't even know. So let, let's say some basic things to the basic things we need in our curriculum. Then we look at these indigenous, like even the football. Yes, we have, we have a local league. How can our school system feed the Nigerian league, football, basketball, athletics, and, and, and so yeah? So those are the, those are the indigenous stuff we are we're looking at. You know, let our, let let it reflect our society. Let our language, arts, culture, you know, way of life. Let 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 us let our education after primary school. Let every child that goes to primary school come and stay in Nigeria now. Uh, our lots of especially in the private schools, man, all the books foreign, everything foreign. You know, everybody's talking about Jack and Hill, Jack and Jill. You know, everybody's talking about Houston, Texas. You know, a child goes to in Nigerian school and comes out, name about American and Nigeria. So how, how do we become Nigerian? How do we how do we build this this patriotism, this nationalism? Education is it. You have to bring it back home. Let's know about our place. Let us be proud. Let the children know that, yes, this is what it means to be a Nigerian. So that, that's the way that education can be used for uh, development. We we'll make it indigenous. Let's, let's own it. Let's have stories about, about Adekule, about Yusuf about Obi, Chike, and the rest. Thank you. Yes, I think that has answered my question. And yes, that's, that's all regarding today's episode on why informal education is important to African educational development, which is which a lot of information and thoughts have been shared. And yes, we really need Africa needs to develop in terms of education because the the major core of a con of, of a continent's development or a country's development is a good leadership and a, a quality education that is not just the regular education but that focus more on the nation itself like who we are our uniqueness and our abilities because diverse diverse innovations have been coming up and Africa seems to be like 
the only backward continent. So we need to change the narrative as Africans. We need to start doing our things, start holding our craft. We need to start taking charge and start taking responsibility of who we are and what we are. You don't have to underlook yourself because or underrate yourself as an African. You are an African because you are an African, because you are born African. So thank you, Mr. Namse. I really appreciate you and thank you for what you are also doing. And yes, we would like you to also tell us a little bit about your project in Canada. Okay. My projects are essentially a literacy development projects. The first one is um, Bukaton. So like what we're talking about indigenous learning. So I, I got some of my friends and volunteers to write and design stories about us and for us. And um, we did that and we, they, are, they are available online. And we did that and we distributed that. We were able to get some funding and printed some and distributed to, to public schools. So we children to own personal books, not just library cards. Because this library thing is a problem. The school library operates only during school hours and the children are supposed to be in class. So what time do they have to go to the library to read? So when they have personal books, they can read at home at their own leisure and their own comfort. And that's what we've been trying to do to get books into the hands of children. Because seeing books, like we talk of informal learning, it's an informal way of, of creating this um, inquisitiveness in them. Okay, what's this in this book? They read this book. What's this picture? Now, they want to find out what this picture is because those that can't read, when you see that picture, like, okay, what's in this picture? What is it? Then that's, that inquisitiveness leads them to start trying to learn how to read. Then I also do, I'm also trying to set up a community learning center. We've got a space, so we're just trying to get, we've got some materials, some people, are, some organizations have been very gracious and giving us some books and some puzzles and some fun learning materials that these children love. And um, we're just looking for a space, just trying to set the space up. And it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, we want to get one of the students, we want to be a, a learner centered space. So we have like two students who are in SS2, SS3. They'll have the key, they'll come there in the evening and open up the place, they'll read. But maybe once or twice a week, if I'm chance, I will go in there, work with them, help them with their homework, and train other. I also want to train parents on helping children on their homework, give them access to the internet to search for stuff and build some digital skills. And also like on weekends, we have programs with them on Saturdays or Sundays. So it's kind of a space, what what a classroom is supposed to be, but they can't have it because of their public schools. So this one gives them a kind of remedial education outside of school where they can learn on their own and what they want. Because some children want to learn about maybe sewing, they want to learn about fishing and stuff, but you can't find those kind of stuff in your school. But in this place, there are lots of books where you can now read for leisure. You want to read a storybook about any other thing, you can now have a choice to read, um, to do what you want. That's that's the whole idea of how it's called the community learning center, where anything you're interested in, you can come and get it there and ask questions and 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 help yourself. So that's what it is. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, thank yeah. you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, yeah, and also I'm looking for a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> you are looking for a publisher oh. for children's books. There's no, there's no publisher for children's books in Nigeria, which is quite sad. We need some. We need 
more quality children's every school go there they're reading Cinderella they're reading um, Tom and Jerry and everything we just start creating our own our own spaces for the children let them learn about more than me let them learn about Jaja for Kobo and stuff so I have some series of stuff I've been writing for children and I hope hope somebody's listening fantastic yeah. yes yes uh, from more like what you said earlier you now implemented everything you've implemented everything already so that's, that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah. yeah thank you very much for showing up and for making our time to share your um, infinite knowledge <laughs> with with us it's not it's not, it's not infinite it's finite there's a leave it's not there's still more things to be learned to learn <laughs> okay infinite. yeah Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Yeah. Have a good day, Aitza. All right.